Father, we come to You with grateful hearts this day, overwhelmed by our salvation, the price that was paid to redeem fallen men, us. And yet, Father, when I think about the new birth in Matt's house, the guiding of Gabby, and yet, Father, uh, strangest of this day and this age that we live in. Father, may we fight the good fight. May we stay the course. And Father, may we keep the faith. Each and every one of us who is here this day, draw deep to you and you alone and Christ alone. Father, as we look at these words of the Apostle Paul, May we be overwhelmed and yet with great joy and expectation the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort is there all the time, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is the comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our sufferings. So also... You are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us in whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf of the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This is good stuff. We need. I want to kind of stop and get you back on this, because you have to have these two books together. No, I'm not going to teach 1 Corinthians again. Okay, but 1 Corinthians is dealing with your personal holiness, my personal holiness. And to understand that in the Corinthian church, remember who he's writing to. He's not writing to a bunch of pagans who think they're in church. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And you can see that Ego had stepped into the church in Corinth. Selfishness had stepped into it. Where they were perverting the Lord's table. They were perverting their potlucks. They were perverting spiritual gifts. They had embraced immorality. And they were touting it as freedom in Christ. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the church was a mess. There is no church in the New Testament that has had more chapters written to it than the Corinthians. And let's be honest, a cursory reading of either letter, you can see that the Apostle Paul is not really thrilled with them. And, 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 I, and I want us to understand that because until I look at personal holiness... I can't move into 2 Corinthians because 2 Corinthians is ministry. And this book is written not on a theological or a systematical basis. This is written from the heart of the man who founded this church. 
This is the heart of a pastor. This is the heart of a spiritual leader. This is the heart of a man that has a passion for the things of God. And that's why he confronts sin and he confronts sin boldly. There's a letter that is missing called the severe letter. All right. Now, I don't know what was in it, but I bet it was a dandy. I mean, I can read first Corinthians and thought, well, that sounds like the severe letter. And he says, no, there's one that I wrote that wasn't God breathed. And yet in giving that letter, Titus has come back and informed the Apostle Paul that, you know what? There are people, a core group of those people are repentant and coming back to what was established. So Paul starts this letter, which is technically the fourth letter written to the Corinthians. We don't have two. The first letter we don't have and the third letter we don't have. All right. But we've got this letter, which was technically would be 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians. Now then, are you completely confused yet? I'm going to keep trying. You don't. <laughs> I, I want us to understand this because what happens when you start, uh, how shall I, when you start tolerating things, okay, you will open yourself up to better things or worse things. And it will escalate extraordinarily fast if you're truly honest with yourself. All right? And I mean, it could just be a little thing over here. It's like I tell people, if you miss church one Sunday, it's not that big a deal. Okay? If you miss church the second Sunday in a row, it'll probably be six months before you get back. Because it becomes convenient and you like it. Why? Well, I just had things that came up. And it was obvious the church didn't need me because nothing blew up while I was gone. Right? And I, I see that pattern over and over and over. I cannot even count how many times that I've seen it. And that's if they're saved. <laughs> if they're not saved, they may never come back. And that's fine. That's fine. The Apostle Paul is looking at this because what has happened is Paul's going through some stuff. What we'd call bad stuff. His stuff is so bad that he despaired of life. Okay, now, everybody in here would say that I have been through some bad stuff. Have you ever been to the place in your bad stuff where you've lost your will to live? I've never been there. I've never been to the place where I said, you know what? I'm out of here. Never been there. Now, if you have, I praise God for you. But I haven't been there. I've been through some bad stuff. Most of my stuff was self-inflicted. So, I mean, most of the time, I'm my own worst enemy. Now, I know people say, well, you know, you need to get into, you know, warring with demons. No, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm my own worst demon now. I was reading uh, John Bunyan and he made a statement one time and he's the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, my prayers have enough sin in it to condemn the world. It's an interesting statement. But I want us to think about this because what happens is once you allow that in, that corruption, if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll find he doesn't even deal with their questions until chapter 7. First six chapters are rebukes. And then chapter 7 is now concerning things you wrote me. You're like, gee, never mind. Whoever keeps sending him a letter, would you stop? And, and, and it's amazing to me because these letters, somebody would have stood up at a pulpit and read it. And, you're, and he starts naming names. And you, you just kind of, whoa. But then he starts this letter and you start seeing his heart. There's nothing theological in this letter. I mean, this is a heart of a man who has been crushed by the actions of these people. And yet he says, what I'm going through, 
This affliction that I am in, this emotional turmoil that I am in, this overwhelming despair that I am in, you're partly the cause. But he never says that. He says here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. He says, I am thankful for what I'm enduring. And you go, oh, how can that be? How can that be? And if you look at it, I'll review this quick because he understands who is the person of comfort. Who is the person of comfort? Most of us will take comfort in what? Just name it. It might be a new car. It might be an old car. It might be a relationship. It might be the loss of a relationship. All right. It might be a job. It might be money. It might be this, a bigger house, a smaller house. Our kids are gone. Our kids are back or whatever. We will take comfort in it. And what you will find is, is that the Greek word here for comfort is to strengthen. To strengthen. And the word that you see for trouble and affliction is pressure. In midst of the pressure, I will be strengthened. See, when I think about comfort, I think about, you ever seen them little chairs that they put on the beach? They're not real high. You almost have to fall into the little buggers. And and setting them out on, on the sand and wait for the tide to come in. Okay? And, you know, maybe fall asleep and all of a sudden, oh, you wake up wet thinking, whoa, what was that? And there's the tide and you take your little chair and go a little farther inland. Okay? To me, that's comfort. That ain't the word here. <laughs> That ain't the word here. The word here is that God will strengthen me for whatever it is that I am enduring. And it doesn't matter whether it's a physical pressure. It doesn't matter whether it is a spiritual pressure. It doesn't matter whether it's an emotional pressure. What he's saying is, no matter what the pain, no matter what the anguish, no matter what the affliction, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort is going to take care of it. And yet I watch so many today who will try to grab a hold of so much today to seek comfort. This will strengthen me. And I mean, we do it through pills and booze and we do it through relationships. We do it. And I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about the church. And I wonder... Why we don't draw to the God of all comfort. But then in verse, first part of verse 4, you've seen that there is a promise of comfort. It is guaranteed. That Cajun cook, do you ever see it? Guaranteed. That's every time I hear that. Guaranteed. Why? You will be strengthened. Period. Guaranteed. You guys ever seen that guy? I like that guy. I wouldn't eat anything he ever cooked, but <laughs> I like listening to him. I know what them Cajun people are like. They'll eat anything that won't eat them. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you see what he says there? That's a really cool word. It's the word we translate A-L-L. Okay, it's not a detergent. In which afflictions? Any pressure that comes to you, guess what? Any of them. He is there to strengthen you through it. That's amazing to me. That's a promise of comfort. The purpose of comfort, verses, ver, the end of verse 4 and verses 6 and 7 is what? I go through what I go through so that God can comfort me and strengthen me in it so that I can do what? Comfort you when you go through it. This is an amazing thing. The church needs to grab a hold of this. I can look at this congregation right now and say there's nothing on the planet earth this church has not endured and we are all here to help one another. I don't need counseling. I don't need higher intervention from professionals. I need the body of Christ to step up and say, you know what, I've been through that. God was there. Let me tell you how you helped me through it. Let me, oh, walk with you. That, oh, wait, an interesting kind. Con- Is that like a mentoring program? No, it's like discipleship. 
It's like Jesus living with 12 knuckleheads for three years. I'm not saying that you're knuckleheads. Some of you are not knuckleheads. I share this kind of stuff because you need to pay attention to some of this because the body of Christ, we we used to sing that song, The Family of God. Okay? And and you sit watching and you say, but that doesn't look like a family. Why? Because the family of God is there what? Through thick and thin, rain and shine. Even with the weird uncles. I think everybody's had a weird uncle a time or two. Well, maybe if you didn't, I've got enough weird uncles I'll share. Okay, but I share this because you've got to understand this. Why? You have been through things to help us. That's an amazing thought. And because when you went through it, the God of comfort strengthened you through it. And you can say, amen. And then you can find someone who's going through the same thing. And you can say, you know what? He strengthened me through it. He strengthened me through it. Because there is a purpose. But there is an abundance of comfort. Verse 5. As the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Did you see where the comfort in abundance comes from? That goes back to the purpose of comfort, or the person of comfort. It is through Christ. You want to see comfort. You want to see strengthening through any affliction in abundance? It's in Christ. Oh, did you know that the church was a manifestation of Christ in this day and age? Interesting concept. I watch people who get into a, a bad position and the last place they want to go is where? Church. Why? Oh, you just don't understand. You know what? I don't. If you want to forsake the assembly together where the comfort will be and the strengthening will be, you're right. I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. That's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. And the truth of the matter is, when you start having bad things happen, you start forsaking the assembly. Why? Well, you know, I don't want people to look bad at me. That's your ego. That will never get you in trouble. Okay, that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Did you know that? I'm thinking you're not immune to that. And and I, I don't understand this stuff because when I think about the abundance of comfort, it is only based on what does Christ have. That's all. What in creation can separate you from the love of God? I can tell you, it hasn't been created. I know what? But that is always fascinating to me. Nothing in creation can separate you from the love of God. So the only thing that can separate me from the love of God has never been created. What? In other words, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I just like to make it complicated. Out of 4th Corinthians. Sorry. This is the stuff that you and I have to pay attention to when we're going through this. We have comfort in trouble. We have strengthening in any affliction. And it is in abundance. It's only based on the abundance of Christ. That's all. The awesomeness of comfort, 8 through 10, first part of 10, verse 10. Why? Because Paul lays out here, which is just flies in the face of what the church is doing these days. He's saying it was emotional. He's saying that it was spiritual. He's saying that it was physical. And I literally had come to the end of my proverbial rope and I didn't have nothing left. To the point where I put the sentence of death on ourselves. And then he says, you know what? That's exactly where God wants us. Why? So we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in God. How many of us do that? How many of us can say, you know what? I'm not trusting in my job. I'm not trusting in my education. I'm not trusting in my 401k, my 501k, my car, my wife, my kids. I am trusting solely and wholly in God. And then I'll ask you a simple question. So you have come to the end of all of your abilities. That's amazing stuff. You know, it's funny because I think about it. Um, I don't like to speak in front of people. It's kind of weird. You want me to what? 
And yet I've had the opportunity to speak in front of some huge crowds. I've been in, in some big churches and I've been on some... I preached one of the greatest times that I can ever rejoice was two. Um, one was on the south steps of the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. Okay, and I, and I preached on the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Okay, the other was in a place called Capernaum. And it was at the synagogue across the street from Peter's house where Jesus preached. Okay? And I basically preached on a prophet who was without honor in his own town. And am I had, I've had, you know, I, I spoke in Moscow, I spoke in Orel, Los Angeles. <laughs> anyway, and a few other odds and ends, London. And, and I share that with you because here's the guy who doesn't like to speak in front of people. And God's always been gracious. What he will do is he will make the lighting so that I can't see but the, about the front row. That's really cool. A uh, church that I spoke at in Russia had this balcony thing and you had people, it was like uh, a surround sound thing. And you had, it was all the way around you, but you were kind of locked into a little spot and a little light or you weren't going to see your Bible. And so you didn't see all the people. And then I, there were thousands of them and that just bugged me. Okay, why? Because I know that I couldn't do it. And he says, yeah, as long as you stay there. I mean, even today when I come up before the pulpit, today I'm nervous. My hands are still sweating. And I've been doing this two or three days in a row. Why? Because I know I can't do this. Do you understand what it is that we do? We deal with the eternal destiny of souls. Who's qualified to do that? I don't understand that. That's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. But that is the awesomeness that He will take you to that point where you have no more resources and He says, now watch. He doesn't share His glory. And I I talk to people, how did you get to... I don't know. I got off the wrong bus. Boom, there I was. They said, say something. Do we understand that? I, I mean, I watch people who believe that if I get a certain amount of education, then I can go what? Deal with the eternal destiny of souls? How much education are you going to get? I don't understand that. Which brings me to the arrival of comfort. The arrival of comfort. This is a cool stuff. It's right there at the end of verse 10. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Why? Because in verse, the first part of 10, he says, he has delivered us. Okay? When comfort arrives, we have a tendency, or maybe it's just me, that we will take that strengthening for that moment. And we think, hallelujah, got me out of that one. And then a week later, you get into another bind and you immediately do what? How are we ever going to get out of this? I don't know. How'd you get out of it the last time? God. Oh. See, He has and will deliver us. Okay, I like it. Uh, There's a new phrase that's going around in churches today. It's called placing boundaries. (laughs) That's funny. I like that. Well, I do. I I think it's one of the most hilarious things we've ever come up with in the evangelical community. Why? What were Christ's boundaries? I'll let you ponder that because we're supposed to be followers of who? The boundless one. Okay, because it says, He will comfort me in the past. He has comforted me in the present. Oh, did you know He's going to comfort me in the future? So that would be the boundaries. Past, present, future. You know what the boundaries are? Got it covered. Got it covered. And when the arrival of comfort comes in the person of Christ, knowing that it is abundant, then I know that God is going to do this right on out through the end. 
There's no question to it no more. I don't have to worry about it. It isn't a concern to me. Why? Regardless of the affliction, regardless of the pain, regardless of the heartache, guess what? He is, He will, and He is now and has give you strength to get through it. It's an interesting concept, don't you think? That's what He says. Who delivered us? Why? We set our hope on Him. He will yet deliver us. And He will deliver us. You know what that means? Got it covered. We have set our hope. See, we get ourselves into positions at times where we feel absolutely helpless. There's nothing here I can do. Absolutely nothing here I can do. All right? But I have to ask this second question is, has He in the past gotten us through it? Well, yeah. Well, what about right now? Is He getting us through it? Now that you mention it, you know, I was kind of dealing with this or that or the other. Yeah. Well, then what about the future then? If He has in the past and He is right now, the Apostle Paul says, but of course. Why? The key is that, yeah, God is sovereign. I agree with that all so much. But my question is, and the one thing that I have watched that is easy to identify in our society today is, what have you set your hope in? See, setting my hope means that this is rock-solid, foundational, unmovable. You can't push it. You can't move it. You can't even blow it up. So right there it is. And when it is there, then guess what? You will look in the past and you will say, you know what? He strengthened me through that. You know what? I'm going through this right now. He strengthened me through that. So what in the future is He going to stop me with? See, God will always, 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 always be faithful. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul understood this. I shared with you this morning that this is Paul's last letter. He was martyred shortly after this. Um, he... Uh, Verse 9 makes a comment in, in, in chapter 4. Verse comment says, Make every effort to come to me soon. You find out that Demas that loved this present world has deserted me. Uh, gone to Galatia and Titus is at Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. If you can find Mark, bring him with you. He is useful. And the other guy that was with me I sent on to Ephesus. <clears throat> then he makes this statement. at Verse 16. And my first defense, no one supported me. Paul is getting ready to have his head removed for preaching the gospel, watching the redemption of souls, planting churches, watching people coming out of the darkness into the light, watching the new birth overwhelm people, watching them replicate themselves. And at his defense, guess what? No one supported him. No one could come. You know, Paul ain't that bad a guy. You know, he, I got bread from him or something. No one was there. No one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Look what he says in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened. Same word, comforted. He strengthened me. He strengthened me. Why? That through me, the proclaiming might be fully accomplished. He says, you know what? God strengthened me saying that, you know what, Paul, you're near the end of your race. You have been proclaiming. You have done what I've asked you and you should take comfort in that. And that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now, I don't know exactly what the lion's mouth is, but it's evidently there was something there that was very dangerous. Uh, and I mean, I don't care what anybody says. The lion's mouth is just not a pleasant place. It's not a place you should, hey, I think I'll go there. Okay, so whatever was going on right there, you know, I said, hey, he was thrown into the den. Well, maybe. I don't know. 
Okay, some people say, well, lion refers to the Romans. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. But I do know this. He was rescued from it. And guess what? It was not by human manner. It was done by, by God. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to what? To His heavenly kingdom. You know what He's saying? If I am not rescued from this physical place, it doesn't matter. I get to go to that heavenly place. And it is still who? God still strengthening. And that's what he's trying to get at. When comfort comes, it doesn't really matter what the outcome is. I watch people freak out. Well, you know, I'm going to go to the doctor. I've got a mass or I need a mass or I've got a bad this or a bad that. And, you know, I just need God to heal me. Why? Maybe you will have to go through it so that you can be comforted by God so you can comfort others. And if He takes you on to glory, then we who are remaining will be comforted by the fact that you're at the right hand of God the Father. Interesting concept. I have buried some very dear friends of mine. I envy them. I told every one of them before they died. You're going to cause me to sin. What? I will envy you. How is it you get out of this before me? I know none of you have ever done that, but I do it on a regular basis. Why are they getting no? Have you ever understood that? I really wish that we would gather this and understand this and grab this and drink deep of this because when you start thinking about what your eternal reward is, what is there on this planet you want to hold on to? I don't care what you got in this planet. It's going to really compare to the absence of sin. I don't even understand that. Yeah, I just, I just won't ever be around it again. What? Sin. I almost feel sinful saying it. See, no one supported him, but you know what? He said, I knew that the Lord was there with me. Why? Because when he got up in front of the pro-council, you know what Paul did. He preached the word. That'd mess with him, wouldn't it? Well, you know, we're going to cut your head off. Only if the Lord let you. <laughs> and guess what? Then I'll be with him. And you'll still be here <laughs> with my old head. Have fun with it. I, I, that's the craziest stuff I ever, you know. Oh, thanks. Here, I'll send you a thank you card. Why? He will deliver me even if it means that delivery is to the heavenly kingdom. Why? He, he, glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what he says. Why? Do you understand? You can't lose at this. I like that. That's an amazing thing to me. See, God will bring me through every situation even until it's time for me to go to the kingdom. Doesn't matter the situation. He's going to bring me through it. He'll give me strength, knowing that His strengthening will be able to strengthen others through that strengthening. Cool. All right. And if for some crazy reason He says, time to come home. Oh, darn. Shoot, I have to go to heaven now. <laughs> See, Peter knew this. Second Peter chapter 2. Peter understood this completely. He's given a contrast here. And he's talking, he's actually, the context is dealing with uh, the increase of false prophets. Okay, I mean, that's, what? Yeah, Peter was having a bad day. Okay, because he talks about, he said they, he rescued, rescued the righteous Lot who had been oppressed by essential conduct of unprincipled men. Okay, but then he says this, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Dude, that there is a serious passage. That is a serious passage because I see Christians who believe that if they have the rewards of the unrighteous, they believe that that's a benefit, and yet God says that that is actually part of their judgment. Bummer. Bummer. 
Why? God can rescue. He can rescue you from anything. Okay? From anything. He has it lays out there. God, how? God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. The word temptation there is trial. It is that pressing uh, to see what comes out of it. It's similar to what Peter, he says, when Jesus came to Peter, he says, uh, Satan has asked to shake you to see what falls off. That's what he's talking about. Peter understands this. Well, what'd you do? What'd you tell him, Jesus? Well, I prayed for you. What? Why didn't you tell him no? He says, no, you don't understand. When you are restored, you will be able to what? Strengthen the brethren. Why? Because you will have gone through the test. You will have gone through the temptation. I remember a guy one time who was uh, trying to help men and women get out of alcohol abuse. Okay, that's, that's what his job was. He had some kind of piece of paper that said he could do this. And he, he would sit there and ask silly questions and, and all this other stuff and confuse people. And I remember sitting and asking him one time, I said, did you struggle with alcohol? He said, no. And you relate to these people how? Well, I went through school. They got a school on drinking? See, I was just ahead of the curve. <laughs> I, I never did understand. They didn't have nothing like that in, well, they did in college, but it wasn't a class. It was outside of the dorms or in the dorms or whatever. Anyway, but I didn't understand that. That didn't make a bit of sense to me. How do you relate to these people who are struggling with quote unquote alcohol? And you say, well, I never, and I said, well, have you ever, I never ever drank. I said, well, I thought you was in the army. Oh, well, I was. You was in the army and you never drank? I, but I don't understand these kind of things. You just sit there and you go, what? How do you relate to that? But yet, I will go through a trial that I can come out of it to strengthen the brethren. You know what's really nice about that? Some of you will have to go through things to strengthen me. I like that plan. I'm into equal rights. But we do that. You have to go through things and it is strictly for the behalf of other people. Why? So you can watch the hand of an awesome God strengthen you in the middle of this overwhelming predicament where you will lose even to the point of you will lose the will to live and it is solely so God can comfort you, strengthen you through it so that you can strengthen others with the same strength. That's wild. And you guys need to get busy <laughs> so I don't have to go through it. Just kidding. God can rescue whom He wants. But again, I'm going to take you back to your text there in 2 Corinthians. Who do you have your hope in? It can't be your spouse. It can't be your children. It can't be your job. It can't, it can't be anything but divine intervention. If your hope is not in God, I don't care what you put your hope in. Why? It will crumble every time. I don't care what it is. I don't care how solid you think it is. It'll crumble. It'll collapse. And then you'll be sitting there hopeless. But then you'll be getting to the end of it where you can't stand it anymore and God will intervene. See, God doesn't intervene until you have gotten to the position that there's no earthly remedy. And then he says, watch this. Watch this. And we have to step in that place. And you know what's a drag about that place? We don't like to stay there. And it's just so... Have you ever heard people talk about spiritual walks as valleys and peaks? You know, I'm on the peak of my walk and I'm on the valley of my walk. And I'm, have you ever heard? Or am I the only one who's ever heard of that? Some of you are agreeing. All right. Truthfully, it should be flat. Bummer. No, why? Regardless of the good, the bad, or the ugly, that'd make a good movie, wouldn't it? We could we it should be going in the strength of God that it walks just like this. 
And it never changes. I don't care what it is. Even if you eat like seafood in Orel, Russia. That was one of my valleys, brothers and sisters. <laughs> it, it was awful. And, you know, and yeah, about halfway through that ride back to my room, I had lost the will to live. <laughs> so I don't know where you got your fish. Anyway, what is your hope in? What is your hope in? See, and that's what the Apostle Paul's saying. Why? Because at the arrival of comfort, you, when you watch it come into your life, whether it's past, present, or future, when you watch it come in, you have gotten to the end of human ability. And you see it come in, and you immediately become this amazingly hopeful person. And then tomorrow comes, and you're back to doing it again. And tell me I'm wrong. Because look at the book of Judges. Israel become oppressed and they would cry to the Lord. He'd bring a judge and whip the Philistines. And then they said, we can handle it. Okay, and guess what? In a very short time, boom, they're back in the toilet bowl again saying, help us out of this. All right, I'll help you out of it. And and it's it's what we do. And you know what? There's a little phrase in this letter, 2 Corinthians, that says, Israel was given to you as a warning of what not to do. Why? Because they were in and out and in and out and in and out. Why? When you are at the short end of your stick... You're an amazing prayer warrior, ain't you? Because that's where you got your hope. Right there. And then all of a sudden it passes. And all of a sudden your communications to God is a little on the slim side. And He'll bring you back to another place. And all of a sudden you become this amazing prayer warrior. I'm in church every day. I'm reading my Bible every day. And and then back out again you go. And you wonder, why does it feel like my life is like on the peaks and on the valleys? Brothers and sisters, it is so easy to spot what people put their hope in. It is so easy. See, our hope is in God our Savior. Christ Jesus is our hope, Paul told Timothy. If you go through the psalmist, my hope is in the... Lord, we even sing it. I hope it's in the Lord as long as nothing's going wrong. Nah, your hope is in the Lord, period. See, comfort arrives, God says, I was there. When comfort arrives, God says, I am there. When comfort arrives, God says, I will be there. That's what Paul says. And just that little end of that verse 10. See, he, I am there to strengthen you. He is the Father of all mercies. He is the Father of all comfort. I will be there till I take you to my kingdom. Do you understand that a Christian right now is immortal until God says, come home? I don't care what you do. Oh, I'm going to go climb on a ladder. Knock yourself out. I, do you see what I'm trying to get at? And Paul starts this letter to this group of people who have called him more heartburn than any single group. And he starts it off saying, guess what? What I'm going through is for your comfort. Jack could have never written a letter like that. (laughs) I'd have wrote the severe letter. And then I'd have mimeographed it so I could have it for multiple uses. See, one of the things that is amazing and you have to pay attention to is Paul's enemies were relentless. They never stopped. You have an enemy who will not stop until you step in glory. Okay? You know, I kind of look at that when Paul writes this out in this text. It's almost like Paul is saying, you know what? One rescue ain't going to work for me. I'm going to need multiple rescues. I'm pretty convinced of that. And you know what? 
God was faithful. I mean, he got bit by a poisonous snake, freaked out the natives. You know what? I rode a, a Belarusian motorcycle that has the gear shift on the wrong side and the shift pattern is completely backwards to American. Now, the clutch and the brake were right. The brakes are, you know, put your feet down, you'll stop. And I rode that thing in Zimimka, okay, Russia. And, and <laughs> anyway, I just rode it around the Statue of Lenin. All the towns have a big old Statue of Lenin, probably 35, 40 feet tall, and he's pointing or holding or something, saluting. And so I ride it around the Statue of Lenin and then back over to the church. And that evening I was supposed to preach the Wednesday night service, and I thought it was kind of fun other than the fact that I didn't have any. This is the dumbest motorcycle I've ever been on in my life. Everything's backwards. Okay? That evening a guy comes walking into the church who had seen me circling linen. Okay, my first response is, oh, police. It's probably against the law to circling or something. The guy came to salvation. Okay, why is that? Because even when I ride a motorcycle that's backwards, my hope is still in the Lord. <laughs> Can you give me back? <laughs> All right, but a guy got baptized just this summer. I, was, I, I look forward to one day maybe making the dedication of the house of prayer and maybe seeing him. But he came, and you know, I, I preached on Wednesday night. That's a blast to preach over there. It's three hours. You preach for about an hour, hour and a half, and then they ask questions for two. And you just, whoa. And uh, it's a blast. See, Paul, Paul understood, and I know that every one of you understand, that there has to be more and more rescues because your hope will grow in the Lord as you are rescued more and more and more. And you know what's amazing about it? God, every single time, is faithful. Every single time. And you know what? Let's be realistic. Some of us are trying to him. Aren't we? Some of us just need to be rescued almost moment by moment. And yet he is still faithful. Every single time. Next week, the allowance of comfort. Father, I just praise you for your word. My brother Paul, who has set such a path before us. Father, we will walk in a manner worthy of our great calling. Father, we gather this day to give thanks. We gather this day overwhelmed by the privilege of our salvation and the purposes that surround each and every one of our lives individually and collectively. Father, may we, who are called by your name, Walk in the majesty and power. Father, understanding that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that it will prove us. Help us, Lord, as you took Peter through a, a horrible place of denial. Father, that we uh, may strengthen the brethren. That Father, that whatever we have been through, we see your comfort and comfort those who are either in the same or coming out of it, and Father, it was their lives that you put in our lives for such a time as this. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome God. Help us. Help us to walk on bended knees for the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In Christ's name, Amen. I want to share with you about comfort and one more illustration. The guy who planted that church in uh, Zimimka, Alexander, you see in his picture is out there in our bulletin board. I love Alexander. He is a, uh, he's a welder. And the reason is, is most of the interior trim that is done in a house is done in steel. And so he welds. He literally builds doors and safes and stuff like that. It's all done rough cut steel and he just welds it all up. And that's that was his his original job. Zemevka is where his mother lived under the communist. And uh, <clears throat> outside of the city limits is a little sign like we have it says city limits, town limits of Zemevka and has population I think it's 30 3800 something like that. <clears throat> 
And he, every time you go with Alexander to Zabinska, he'll stop there. And he prays for the salvation of souls in this town. Okay? Do you know that Alexander was in Zemimka every day for five years before he ever saw one person saved? And yet he was comforted that God was going to grant him some souls. That's amazing. Remember I shared with you the letter about the, the deacon who just got him a wife and they got married this summer and she was baptized? I think some of you remember that letter from Alexander. He's the one who had the motorcycle. He's also the first soul that was saved in Zemimka. Every day for five years. Listen, this isn't a thriving metropolis. This isn't actually the unemployment rate is like ninety some percent in Zemimka. Most people live on some kind of uh, government subsidy, so it isn't like you know I could get a mega church out of this. No, this guy looked at it because he was comforted by the things of God, and God had brought him through and saved him, and he wanted to go back to where his mom was and that see those people saved. His mom eventually came to salvation. She's actually um, was part of the what started the women's getting saved in the town. She was kind of the crusty old woman of the town. I don't have a. I'm not going to tell you how he described it. <laughs> it's your mom you're talking about, dude. But she was. Everybody knew her. Put it that way. And it wasn't like a positive thing. But I, you know what? All of a sudden, now they're going to bring an industry in. And they're so effective there that the Russian Orthodox have come in and built two churches, one on the north side and one on the south side of town to counteract. This is a town of 3,800 people. But he's seeing people saved. Why? Because the God of all comforts strengthened him. 